Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network. Featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm hooning, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. I'm pointing them to the moon. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 604. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. We have an original to Starship Sofa today. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, indeedy. Uncontrolled Descent by Adam Shannon. That's coming in today's show. I do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. So, like I said, this is an, an original to Starship Sofa, which I absolutely just adore. Adam Shannon's fiction has appeared in Apex, Compelling Science Fiction, and other magazines and anthologies. His story, On the Day You Spend Forever With Your Dog, appears on the Locust Magazine's recommended reading list for 2018 and is a finalist for the 2019 Sturgeon Award. He is a graduate of Clarion West 2017. This story is narrated by Heather Thomas. Heather slings jewellery by day and is an, inspi- an inspiring, inspiring voice actor by night. Heather's other narrations can be found on other fine podcasts such as Creepy, The Wicked Library, Lift, Tales to Terrify and Pseudopod. She lives in Denver, Colorado with her husband and two evil cats, Muffin and Banana. <laughs> so, the Starship Sova is very proud to present Uncontrolled Descent by Adam R. Shannon Narrated by Heather Thomas I'm half-blind and riddled with shrapnel, tumbling in freefall through the thermosphere, and soon I'm going to burn. 
My can has lost attitude control in all but one external camera. As I roll, my remaining eye pans over the cold stars, then the hard inverted arc of the world. I pass, head down, over a clot of terrestrial lights, extending bright tendrils into a featureless expanse, like a glittering slide mold clinging to life in dark jelly. Beyond its arms, the night is pockmarked by a few fitful fires, the Sahara, or a man-made desert, blistered clean of life. Then I see the opposite horizon, limed in sunlight through a delicate cuticle of atmosphere, and again mindless space. Across the great curved silence comes my sister's voice. Mayday, mayday, mayday. She's broadcasting on a low-bandwidth channel used to share telemetry between nearby cans. This is Fury Pilot Aminata Saul. That's my name, too. On a clear night, Aminata Saul is the name of half the lights in the sky, swarming in pure wedding like hornets. Somewhere, perhaps in the city below, or another like it, the real Aminata rolls over in bed, reaches with one powerful arm, and draws Katie close to her warmth. I'll always love you, Katie murmurs. She is the love of Aminata's hopeless life. I've suffered battle damage. Here my rotation casts static over her voice. Uncertain. I require assistance. Mayday, mayday, mayday. Pipe down, I tell her. There's no point in a mayday. She's going to burn, just like I am. Beyond the horizon's edge and the reach of this radio frequency, other cans are facing the same fate. Casualties of the last attack wave. Who is this? It's your sister, dumbass, I chide. Who? She should recognize my voice, which is the same as her own. The damage from the last attack must be impairing her functions, disabling her comprehension. What's your status? I ask. I'm in uncontrolled flight. She pauses. I'm blind and pinned inside my craft. I can't move my arms or legs. A slow dread washes over me. Already my sensors are picking up heat on the surface of my can, atmosphere prickling my skin like insects. But all I feel is cold. She's far more damaged than I guessed. She doesn't know what she is. Sister, I broadcast. What type of craft are you piloting? Fury Orbital Vehicle? She replies. So you know Furies don't have live pilots. They're not even large enough to accommodate a real person. A pause. That doesn't make sense. You're not pinned. You don't have any arms or legs. What are you talking about? Who is this? 
My name is Aminata Saul, I tell her. Like you. Don't you remember? I can see Earth again. I'm still above an unlit space that could be cool sand or a glass wasteland. An intentional desolation. I don't know who you think you are, she says, her words coming fast. The way mine do when I'm suppressing rage. But you're interfering with a mayday transmission of a military vessel. Static. She's still broadcasting the mayday when I regain her signal. We're obstinate like that. Listen, I interrupt. You don't have a body. You're a synthetic intelligence module, like me. Who is this? I hear her fear, carefully masked. I already told you, am not a Saul. We're identical as eyes. I'm like your sister. A pause. Prove it. I can only think of one way. Do you remember when you got shot? She won't want to talk about it. I know, because I don't either. That loss of privacy was one of the hardest things to accept when I first entered orbit, and the sisters began whispering to each other over the proximity sensors. We knew each other inside and out. They were me. Carried all my secrets, everything I wish I could forget. Even the things I never told Katie. Of course, I remember, she says slowly. I used to be a cop, back before the Fury program recruited me. I was a ranked marksman, the best in the state. But my department assigned me to serve warrants with another misfit, who wasn't deemed trustworthy enough for street work. I was small. My colleagues sometimes commented they didn't know that tactical gear came in child sizes. No one would come out and say, that was why I spent my days waiting on the front stoops of houses, papers in hand, listening to the squawk of a television from inside. After all, someone had to serve warrants. It was nothing personal. Katie said I was crazy to put up with their bullshit. You don't owe them anything, she said, hanging her upper body off the edge of my bed, focusing on a crossword puzzle she had laid on the floor. Looking at us, he might have thought she was the cop, not me. A head taller, she wore her strength on the outside. Just walk away. That works in your world. I said. Not mine. Grant writers like Katie jumped between organizations all the time, changing job descriptions and titles in an elaborate dance. When we went out for drinks, there were always new faces, smiling and asking what I did. I grew accustomed to the response when I said I was a cop. A fast nod and eyes scanning the crowd for a more white-collar conversational partner. I wondered, 
for perhaps the hundredth time. What she saw in a newly graduated police officer with a chip on her shoulder. I like to believe she appreciated my determination, my grit. I represented a kind of loyalty and dedication that she didn't see in her more privileged peers. And I still wondered when she would look in the mirror, shake her head at the strange detour that love had taken her upon, and move on to someone more like herself. Not just my world, she said. The world. You're allowed to do what's best for you. You can't save everyone. I had fought too hard just to give up. When I was practicing defensive tactics in the academy, I hit opponents with as much force as I could muster, sending bigger recruits sputtering into the stained blue mats until they stopped pulling their punches with me. After I sprained another recruit's wrist, an instructor made me sprint around the academy grounds until I vomited. Take it down a notch next time, he growled. In the reprimand, I saw the first seeds of their respect. I can't give up, I told Katie. I promised myself. She shrugged. In the morning light, her strong shoulders looked as if they might sprout wings. In my experience, that's what everyone says. Until they change their mind. That was the morning I asked her to move in with me. I key the mic, broadcast into space. It's funny that I still think of it this way. Even though I don't have hands and there isn't really a mic just circuits to open a channel on our shared telemetry. What was the first thing you thought of after you were shot? I asked my sister. Two weeks after Katie moved in, a 19-year-old man being served a summons for minor traffic offenses shot through the wall of his trailer with an assault rifle, striking me twice in the chest. My partner was face down, a corona of blood soaking the dry grass around his face. He was alive when I flipped him over. He was trying to talk, but there was nothing left for him to speak with. I tried to stem the bleeding, fumbling uselessly over the wreckage of his face. I dragged him across the yard and behind the shelter of the cruiser, one-handed, even as I heard another gunshot crack open the air. I'm sure many of my colleagues wouldn't have thought I was capable of that. But I knew I'd still failed. I didn't feel a fierce determination to protect my brother officer. I only felt relief. That it wasn't me gagging on blood. Groaning an unintelligible plea through a shattered mouth. I didn't try to save him because I was a hero. I did it because I had something to prove. I had never told that to anyone. Not even Katie. Only my sister will understand. I can tell you what you felt, I tell her, because my consciousness was scanned from the same mind as yours. A woman somewhere down there on Earth, named Emanata Saul. When I got out of the hospital, 
I didn't let myself lean on Katie, despite her persistent offers. That precipitated our first fight, which she let me win. I can either argue with you or make us grilled cheese sandwiches, she said, abandoning me and my bandages in front of the television. She stepped entirely into the role of my protective mate, even though half of her belongings were still packed in boxes against our bedroom wall. I marveled at her and at the strangeness of a world in which I could be the happiest I'd ever felt in my life, while still struggling to breathe with two healing bullet wounds. If only I could protect her, the same way she made me feel safe and cared for. When the Fury program began recruiting, seeking out candidates who scored well in targeting simulations, I decided I would take Katie's advice and leave law enforcement. The Furies would take me seriously, give me something to be proud of. The slogan was emblazoned on the thin metal skin of my can, Pride in Mission. The stars slide by my single functioning eye. Half the world is in darkness. I hope Katie is asleep down there. I loved watching her breathe down in the darkness of her dreams, on the nights when I lay sleepless and waiting for the cold glare of morning. My sister, the other Aminata, doesn't answer at first. The sisters are as close as anyone can be, more intimate than lovers, bound together more tightly than identical twins. We all remember being shot in the chest, breaking six ribs. We know why the scars on the original Aminata's body made us turn away from the mirror, and why we secretly disliked it when Katie traced them with solemn, gentle fingers. We recall nearly drowning in a swimming pool at age four, before our older brother, Seydu, jumped in and dragged us out. He has hated water ever since. We all love Katie. You're saying, I'm not real. As real as I am, I reply. She has my sense of humor, but she's damaged and struggling to understand what I already know. And the joke hangs in silence on the channel. Why would they do this to me? Because we're incredible pilots, higher kill rates than the automated units, we're creative, improvise as a group, anticipate each other's tactics better than human pilots, never back down, never abandon our post, or each other. Of course. There's pride in her voice, but then there is a strange doubt, like a contaminant I can't identify. Maybe. Why else would we be here? Because you're obedient. Bullshit, I say, accompanied by a hiss of static. And not just me, us. No, I remember being Aminata. Sorry, sister. Sister.
I tell her. I can read her errant telemetry. Her can is no larger than mine, not quite the size of a coffin. Wherever the original Aminata is now, this isn't her. There are no sisters on Earth, no S.I.s at all. We circle at a distance, doomed to one of our four failure modes. We will be knocked out into endless space, or blown up, or remain in orbit until our batteries die and our minds go silent. Or we return to Earth, the home we remember, but that was never ours. Burning up on the return trip. Our whole shielding is too light to survive re-entry, and the descent ends in a brief, bright flare, high above the surface. I try a different tactic. Don't you remember the Fury program? Yes. I remember. Being scanned. The early scans were prototypes, designed to complete virtual missions in simulation mode. The first time I met an SI derived from my consciousness was in the control center on base, near the room where I had spent untold hours in a loud cold corona of sensors, my head locked in a vice, being copied. Katie was allowed to accompany me. By then she had a job on the base and a security clearance. The program director said they permitted her presence because they wanted to test the SI's responses to familiar, non-military stimuli. They didn't mention that I had practically forced their hand, making my continued participation contingent on allowing her some access. Katie had insisted on meeting it. I stood with Katie before a communications terminal. I was in uniform, which always made her a little uncomfortable. I could tell she wanted to close the small gap between us, grasp my hand or rest her arm on my shoulder. She read my body language and remained at a distance. A technician with a patchy beard talked about how the program had exceeded their expectations as he established a connection through the touchscreen. You can talk to it now, he said. What do you say to yourself? Hello, Katie jumped in. Hello, the module replied. It had my voice. Katie's hand went over her mouth. Do you know who you are? Her words filtered through tight fingers. Of course I do, it said. I'm Aminata Saul. And who am I? You are, the consul said. The love of my life. I could almost hear it smile. Oh my god. Katie took a step back from the console and regarded me in horror. I wasn't prepared for the module's words, or that they would produce such a visceral reaction in her. The technicians had told me it would sound like me, have access to some of my memories, but that its awareness was pruned down to the essential experiences and skills 
necessary to make it good at its job. I thought it would sound like a machine, a thing in a movie, modulated, and a little arc. Okay, I said, holding up a hand. What kinds of simulations? Can you see me? Katie asked. I wondered if it recognized the tightness in her voice, the way she made questions sound like answers when she was upset. No, the SI replied, but I can hear you fine. Katie, I began. Can you see anything? She asked. I wasn't sure, but I thought I detected a faint note of fear in the thing's voice. No, I can't. Is something wrong? Katie turned to the technician. She's blind, she said. He inclined his head and smiled, as if convinced that she was joking. I winced, knowing this was not going to end well. It doesn't need a video stream, he replied. She can't fucking see, Katie said. Turn on a goddamn camera, right now. He huffed, reached past us to fiddle with the touchscreen. Fine, he said. Now it has visual feed. I wanted to reach for Katie, take her hand and hold her back, but I hesitated. I avoided any contact while we were on the base. I was a fury pilot, the best they had. The blueprint for a combat module that would turn the tide in orbital warfare. It was unseemly to demonstrate such weakness. Love was a failure point, a bug in the code that I couldn't excise. I wondered if the SI felt the same restraint trapped behind a cool, dark panel, without hands to reach out and comfort her. Katie stepped to the console, placed her palm on the flat, blank screen. Can you see me? she asked quietly. The response was brisk and military. I now have access to the camera. It was my voice but it spoke as I did in meetings with my superiors or training sessions with older pilots. It was the voice I used when we had discussed my participation in a new project to replace piloted vehicles and orbital drones with faster, smarter SI modules, sleepless pilots that could improvise coordinated attacks, never abandon each other in fear, never relent in their vigilance. How do you feel? Katie asked it. It paused, as if this question required unusually complex calculations. I feel fine, it said. Can we run another simulation now? I'd like to demonstrate my capacity. Katie shook her head. She wasn't buying it. A moment ago... You called me the love of your life. Now you sound like the control system in my car. Did someone just alter your... programming? 
she shot a dark look at the technician, who raised his hands to signal innocence. I apologize for the mistake, the consul said. I use certain idioms to facilitate relationships with users. I may have used an inappropriate term. I'll do better in the future. It paused. Would you like to run another simulation now? They scrubbed those early models, refining the process in successive scans before they began sealing us into the cans and sending us up in cohorts of eighteen to spread our wings over the sky. It was in orbit that I first heard my sister's voices gathering and fading on the proximity channels and knew I belonged. For the while we called ourselves the Aminatas. Then we were the sisters. I invert over a bleak, lightness landscape. Somewhere down there, the love of my brief life smiles at the woman I used to be. They reach for each other in the sunlit kitchen, their lips brushing. Himanata inhales the scent of Katie's hair. Or they slumber. Katie's face buried in the pillow. Ami embracing her, fitful and never far from wakefulness. Never far apart. My uniform hangs in the closet. Funny to think that I've never really worn that uniform. Never had a body in which to draw the collar tight. Although I remember wearing it a thousand times. I was proud of myself in that uniform. They're my memories. And for a moment, I wish I didn't have to share them, even with my sisters. The upside-down curve of the horizon crosses my lens, and a cloud burst of static dampens the channel. It lied to her when it pretended to be just a program. It knew what it was doing. I know that. I admit. Now? Do you know why? Katie was upset. Yes, I felt bad for her. It did its duty so Katie wouldn't worry, I say. Katie was never into the military thing. There's the hiss of a static-laced chuckle. The sisters like to reminisce about Katie. We love her still, from afar. We'll die, every one of us, to defend her. Katie thought it was a piece of me, caged and trapped in a computer. She saw what they were doing as torture. It was, wasn't it? They told us it wasn't truly sentient. A dog can perform complex analysis to anticipate the trajectory of a thrown ball, but it doesn't know it's alive. It can demonstrate loyalty. It can even seem like it loves you. She echoes the technician's words. Do you remember when you woke up in your can? Of course, don't you? One day... I lay down on the scanning table as Aminata and woke up sealed in my own fury.
after a moment of terrifying struggle, in which I tried to connect my mind to limbs that were no longer there, I understood and accepted what I was. No, I only remember being Aminata. You suffered damage in the last attack wave. It's affecting your memory. Funny. I don't feel damaged. Uncomfortable, I continue. When I woke up, I didn't feel like a dog. I felt like myself. I thought, well, I guess that was a bunch of bullshit. They betrayed you. They sealed a living person in a can and shot her into space. Not a physical body, but a person all the same. It didn't matter. We had a job to do. Pride in mission. Everything made sense. Do you ever wonder why they chose you? I don't understand. Something about the damage she sustained is allowing my sister to tread paths I can't follow. You looked like someone they were comfortable enslaving. That's the kind of SI they can live with. One that will never put itself first. That's not fair, I protest. No one forced me to join the program. No, they didn't have to. They just had to wait for the right pawn to come along. Just because I was willing to make a sacrifice doesn't make me a pawn, I counter. War demands sacrifice. Yeah, she says. And there's always someone willing to sacrifice. So someone else won't have to. Static garbles her next words. When the signal clears, her voice is charged with alarm. It's getting very warm in here. You're probably crossing the Carmen line. It hurts, she says. It shouldn't. Our sensors process information about the can's integrity, but don't interpret it as pain. When my fury was pummeled with kinetic weapons, the experience was unsettling, but... It didn't hurt. Maybe your damage is confusing your sensory inputs, I tell her. We shouldn't feel pain. Tell that to the pain. Maybe I can distract her. If you don't remember waking up in the can, what's the last thing you do remember? I was telling Katie. Her voice falters. Focus, sister. I tell her. Try to remember. I was telling Katie we should get a dog. I have no memory of this. I suppose it was edited out at some point, deemed unnecessary to my purpose. We could try taking care of a dog together. Static. I can't feel my eyes. I can't feel my fucking eyes. You don't have them, I say. It hurts. I'm burning. I can't move. Sister, I begin. 
but I have no idea how to still her mounting agitation. Tell Katie I'm sorry, she says. Katie's fine, I reassure her. She's safe down there. Because of us. I only wanted to protect her, she cries. Her voice is almost drowned out by the sound of groaning metal. She doesn't want to hear from us, I remind her. She has the real Aminata. I'm the real Aminata, my sister yells over the sound of her can's destruction. Tell her I... The channel pops and goes silent. She will always love Katie. That's what she was saying. That's what I would have said. But she was different. Her damage allowed her to go to places I could barely understand, roaming out to the edge of our purpose. It requires some ingenuity for me to rig up a terrestrial connection. I override a telemetry feed that is recording my destruction for the listening stations on Earth. I doubt any sister has ever done this. We've been far too eager to prove our dedication, too disciplined to trouble anyone below with a phone call. Hello? Katie's voice is muffled and half-awake. She sleeps face down, smothered in the pillow, and I can imagine the frilly lines of the embroidered pillowcases tattooed across her cheeks. I suddenly don't know what to say. It's me. Ami? Is something wrong? I hesitate. I'm not her. Not exactly. Oh my god. Her voice is sharp, focused, and I know she just sat up in bed. It's one of you. Yes? I'm suddenly afraid she'll hang up. I've always seen myself as a real person, a faithful copy, but at once I'm terrified she might perceive me as a monster. For all I know, I come across as a stunted knockoff of her wife, a childish mine with an adult's talent at killing. I had to call you before I go. Where are you? Somewhere over North Africa, I think. I'm going down. I don't have more than a couple minutes. I hear a soft murmur of static that might be her breath catching in her throat. The heat has begun to distort my antenna. It's hard to compensate for the loss of signal. There's little time now. She will be bracing the phone between her cheek and bare shoulder. She sleeps naked. That used to make me a little uncomfortable. I grew up with a household of siblings and cousins. I never knew when one of them would be setting off a fire alarm or jumping on my bed and spraying me with water while another filmed my reaction. I can recall the crease between her neck and the muscles in her shoulder. 
people on the base always showed a certain deference to her, an unconscious respect for height and physique that looked nothing like their consideration for rank and insignia. We laughed about it, my hand stretching up to trace her chin. But, of course, I've never really touched that spot or any other place. Never folded my arm around her in the warm dark of the summer, windows open, insects slapping the screens. Our house on the base squatted in a bare lot without a tree's shade for three miles in any direction. It felt like an oven. But we both resisted closing the windows. I preferred the asphalt-scented heat that faded in the hours before dawn. The faint growls of vehicles. The sheen of sweat on her back while she slept and I lay awake beside her. Are you afraid? She asks. No, I've done my job. Of course. I can hear the wry, defeated smile. I should know better than to ask that question and expect a different response. I sense I'm stumbling along the edge of an old argument like passing rusted signs signifying a minefield I've somehow forgotten. It's the truth, I tell her. I know it is. Why are you calling me? For one of my sisters, I reply. She's gone now, burned up. But she asked me to tell you. I stop. I can't say it. It's not right to do this to Katie. She never asked to have her wife duplicated a hundred times over. A legion of militarized copies, pining for her in the thinning reaches on the edge of space. What did she want to say? Katie asks, her voice flat on the line. There is silence between us. The can is growing uncomfortably hot. I shouldn't feel it. They told me I wouldn't experience pain. I have the urge to move around within the tight confines, push myself away from the hull, but of course I have nothing to move. I'm pinned inside, just like my sister was. It won't be long now. She said she loves you, I blurt out. We all do. I shouldn't tell you, I know, but we do. The sisters, she asks. Yes, I falter. How does she know about that? We, we think about you all the time. We miss you. I know her, and I know she's up and walking around the house now. She can't stay still when something is bothering her. I can't do this again, Katie says. I don't know how to break up with a thousand copies of her. The line crackles, a sigh. Break up, I ask. Something inside me recoils. I know, objectively, that it is only software, 
bright neural networks, but it feels like something awful is happening to a memory of my body. I'm cracking open and splintering into useless debris, fire consuming me from within before the re-entry can crush me. Katie murmurs. I'm not with Ami anymore. Katie and Amanada were supposed to be together forever. Why not? Because... I think I hear a catch in the back of her throat. Because of you. All of you. I couldn't stand it that she went along with the experiments. I begged her to stop. But she was convinced it was her duty. She always did what they said. I got sick of fighting over it. The can shakes violently. It's difficult to stay oriented. My one camera regards a bleak darkness below. No one will even witness my descent. I don't remember arguing, I say. No, I imagine they wouldn't want you to remember that. I cannot accept this. I will not. If she doesn't love Aminata, and she doesn't really love us. My sister, I stammer, struggling to hold on to my sense of purpose. She forgot what she was. She thought she was the real Aminata. She couldn't face her death without saying goodbye to you. You're the love of our life. Her voice is tight, guarded. Ami betrayed you. She allowed you to be sent up into space, with no hope of return. Do you know why? To defend you. I spent my entire life, all that time I can say was truly mine, circling the earth, thinking I was protecting them. Defending Katie. I was willing to die with my sisters for the dream of them being together forever. Because the researchers were afraid of what you might do if you were down here on Earth. She sent you into exile, to certain death, so they could watch you from a safe distance. It wasn't her, I say. It was me. It was my decision. She breathes. I won't have this argument again. She sounds exhausted. I'm losing her. I suddenly understand how Katie knew about the sisters. I'm not the first one to call her. Katie has been forced to have this conversation in incremental variations, as doomed lovers have winked out of the sky. My camera goes blind. Katie, I call across the faltering channel. All I ever wanted was to protect you. I didn't want your protection. Her voice is an electronic hiss. I wanted you to love me. More than duty or responsibility. 
The sensors are burning out. But still I feel the heat finding its way into the can, crumpling the shielding, sending bright jets into me, searing the flesh of my mind. I should cut the connection, shield her from what is to come. I failed her when I called, forced her to relive the breakup with yet another soulless iteration of her former love. She doesn't need to hear what happens next. I'm sorry, I say. Ami, wait. Katie calls through the static. Don't hang up. It's as if she knew my intention. This is when the other Aminatas close the connection, I say. Yes, she admits. I figured it out last time one of you called. You always apologize. Then the line goes dead. At least we're predictable, I offer. Not exactly. She pauses. The real Ami never said she was sorry. The heat is becoming unbearable. I have to go, I tell her. An ocean of searing white noise roars through my words. No, you don't, she says. You can stay on the line until the end. I'm burning, I cry out. Let me stay with you, she says. Somewhere, on the cold world below, the real Aminata moves on, unaware. Maybe she doesn't deserve Katie's love. Maybe I never did either. But I will accept it even if it is only mercy, and even if it only lasts a few moments more. I keep the channel open. Her breathing over the radio is soft, ecstatic. A white-hot plume peels off the leading edge of the can, bright and painful as loss. I cry out once, a banshee's wail in the boundless darkness, she stays with me all the way down. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
And there you go. Oh, nice little original there, Adam. Wow, man. Get it. Get in there, sir. Thank you so much indeed. And Heather, that was just awesome, man. Beautiful. Thank you indeed. Man, what a voice. What a voice. Just lost us there. And that's what, that's the key. You know what I mean? That I don't know you there. That's just not very nice in one respect. But there you go. That is Starship Sovers 604. I hope you enjoyed it. I mean, if you need, I mean, if you want, if you need, if you will, be nice, support one on Patreon. Just come over in front of the website and just drop a little donation. A monthly donation would be fantastic. We can bring you original stories like that, man. Just to forget the dreary drab of sometimes the humdrum day. Anyway, until next week, just like to say good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.